Well, it seemed... Just found 20p on the floor. I'm 20p up on the deal. It's not bad, is it? Only started the programme already. We're quids in. It's profit. Nice to be company. Five past five. Wednesday morning in London town. It's going to be another hottie. <whistles> Yesterday it was just too... I mean, I soaked myself. Absolutely soaked myself. It was just... Hang on. It was just too awful, the weather for me. I don't... I don't function... it. Some people like the heat. She likes the heat. I don't do heat at all. Have a nice holiday. Like yes, we thank care. You. Like we care. Nice. All this rubbish about I was in Turkey. Yeah. She spent most of it in customs at Gatwick, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you log on, please. Yes, I shall log on. Yeah. Okay, I'll do my best. Okay. So you're pushy already. Goes away for a week and a bit and comes back and immediately starts back where we left. Anyway, so loads of stories in the papers today. Uh, loads of things which are going to absolutely get your blood boiling. And uh, that'll be continued on with Nick at seven. In fact, there's a couple of stories. I mean, I can I can imagine the outcome already already from some of these. Let me just uh, uh, so, uh, I've just had to change my password again. And to be honest with you, I can never I can't think of enough rude words. So this time I haven't I haven't used rude rude words for the password. I've used something else. Which I can't tell you about. Uh, right. Uh, should we get straight into the papers? Should we absolutely sort of nail it as quickly as possible? And, uh, and just remind you that you can email steve at lbc.co.uk or 84850. Uh, we've got some birthdays to celebrate later on. We'll tell you who's uh, looking at the... Oh, it's... Oh, they're looking at the... Oh, right. Interesting person looking at the papers with, uh, with Nick this morning. After the news at seven. And... Uh, oh, yes. Do you know, I forgot to tell you the other day. The person who won... The uh, the phone on Sunday wished to remain anonymous, which is OK. But I, I forgot to tell you how much it went for. On Sunday, the Apple iPhone 3GS went for 35 pence. How sick must you be if you put 34? And that bid was made earlier on in the programme. 7.13, that bid was made, and nobody picked 35 pence. Isn't that strange? So uh, congratulations to the anonymous person who's got themselves an Apple iPhone 3GS. A uh, free packet of seeds today with the mail. Everyday packet of seeds. And today it's Cress. Remember doing that at school? You put the cotton wool down, you put something on, uh, a bit of water, and then you get Cress. We go, oh, look, we've got Cress. I don't know what we ever did with it. I think we just looked at it, put it in sandwich. Yeah, but we didn't at school. We didn't do egg and Cress sandwich. We were little kids. We just grew Cress on the windowsill. And then we had a picture of Mummy and Daddy and Cress. And that was it. It was all very, very worrying. Um, I'm going to talk... Um, the small, there's a, there's a, a career thug who's just been sent back from Australia to here. He's a nasty little piece of work. Uh, unfortunately, we're now going to have to look after him. The Australians didn't want him. They say he's a risk to the public. And he's a career criminal. He tried to murder a police officer, but he re- has returned to Britain as a free man. And uh, the taxpayer now faces spending tens of thousands providing housing and benefits to Clifford Tucker, even though he spent most of his life in America. The reason... uh, Sorry, in Australia. The reason they've sent him back is because, they say, he poses an unacceptable risk to the public. So, we've got him back. We've got this nasty little piece of work back over here. He served more than a decade in jail. And so we now have to look after him. What is it with this benefit system in this country, that we have to look after people who serve no useful purpose to man nor beast. I don't quite understand why he arrived at Heathrow the other day, looking every inch the thug which he is, and we've now got to look after him. I wouldn't give him benefits. I'm afraid I'd sit there and go, no, you're not having a penny piece, mate. Not one penny piece. We don't want to... Can we send back all the Australians, then? 
all the Australian criminals that we must have over here. Can we get rid of them as well? Seems to spend most of our life sort of bailing people out. Um, num, 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 num. Oh, I tell you what, in Oxford Street, Regent Street, Regent Street, uh, they've started putting up all the bunting for the royal wedding. Huge union flags all the way up the street. Some pictures in the papers today, which are which are really nice, which is lovely. Uh, Peter Andre has turned nasty by hitting out at his exes. For that, read Jordan and uh, Ellen Rivas. He says here he admitted that uh, the relationship uh, was was never a goer. Well, of course, we, we could have told you that, Pete. I mean, you can't be that stupid, surely. I mean, sh- one of these days you might actually make a decision by yourself. But uh, he says here... because Do you remember that the reason was, when he split up with Ellen Rivas, and perhaps these people forget what interviews they give to papers, he said to the papers, or somebody said to the papers on his behalf, um, uh, they, they, they don't have enough time to see each other. Pete's very, very busy with uh, touring and everything else. He has no time for a girlfriend. So read this, this interview here. He says, I'm a single man. This year is about having fun and lots of it. It's time to live dangerously, have fun. I'm a bad boy, really. And I'm pure filth in the bedroom and I'm hoping to get lots of action. Oh, God. Dear me, Peter. You're an old man, dear. 38. I thought he was 41. I think we've started knocking the years off, Pete, haven't we, mate? 41, I think you are. It's a shame that you can't remember. But uh, I'm sure your manager will tell you who your next girlfriend's going to be. Of course, it'd be so much easier... You know, if you just came out and were truthful. Because, to be honest with you, by the time your kids are old enough to be able to read, they're going to read all this rubbish. I was reading an interview with Kerry Katona the other day in some magazine. She was saying, you know, I do it all for my kids. And my ki- and, and then the headline was, my kids never saw me do drugs. I thought, well, I'm assuming that one of them can read. And they'll be going, what, you did drugs, Mummy? Yeah, Mummy just wasted half a Columbia up her nose. Bigger waste of space is her mother, I'm afraid who turned up, as I said yesterday on the programme, effing... The language is just... It's like the Osbournes. Potty mouth. Potty mouth. Absolutely awful. And laughingly, in the paper today, Kerry Katona wants to help Catherine Zeta-Jones get back to full health. The former rehab queen has reached out to troubled Catherine in her hour of need, saying, Call me, Kerry. Don't be so stupid. She wouldn't call you. She'd be, she'd be calling the postman and the dustman rather than call something like you. Nobody's interested in calling you. Nobody. Laura Hamilton. Oh, dear, whatever happened to Laura Hamilton? Uh, Danced on Ice didn't win. And she says here, I would consider presenting Big Brother. I'm still excited about being linked to the Extra Factor role, but I must admit I don't watch it. Last year I was too busy ice skating, so I can't say what I thought of Connie. Stupid woman. Of course you can say what you thought of Connie. What, you spent the whole year without managing to watch it and realise that she was rubbish as a presenter? There's lies and then there's Laura Hamilton. And she said, I love this. I would consider uh, presenting Big Brother. I don't think they want you to. Ever so sorry. I know, I know it's, it's sounding a bit desperate on your behalf. I would consider presenting that. I would, I'd, you know, if they asked, I, I would think about it. You'd chew their arms off to get their love. But anyway, she was, uh, she was doing, um, she was doing her charity bit the other day uh, with Wellchild and Danone Actimel. So, if in doubt, do a bit of charity work, and it always covers, doesn't it? Uh, remember Rio Ferdinand's stalker? Mad as a brush, I'm afraid. Luckily, she's been arrested. Uh, they caught her after she walked out of court, found guilty. She's quite clearly not all there in the brain department, I'm afraid. She spat at the girl cop, and it turns out that she's been caught twice with knives before. Stupid woman. Stupid woman. I think for your own safety, Popsikins, we should, uh, we should actually sort of uh, put you away. I wish we'd put away this bloke here, Paul Mason. Paul Mason is Britain's fattest man. Well, that's what he thinks he is. He's another one of these deluded loonies 
who sort of says, I'm Britain's fattest man. Yes, you're costing us a bloody fortune, mate. Why don't you just lose weight? So yesterday, he gets in his motorised mobility scooter. That must have been reinforced, because he weighs... What does he weigh? 37 stone. That's after he had surgery. <laughs> so where did he go? The fish and chip shop. They don't come any more stupid, do they? There's this waste of space. Paul Mason, you stupid man. He once tipped the scales at 70 stone. No, you didn't. You're a liar. We know that because the programme tried to weigh you and you didn't. And you're going, I am. I'm 70. No, you're not, dear. No, you're not. So now he goes, um, he actually was appeared on a Channel 4 programme because he's deluded as well. And then goes to the fish and chip shop and eats fish and chips. You've just had this surgery to look. I mean, are you very stupid? God, dear, you sometimes wish that you could, you could send this programme out to these people. Oh, and here we go. Another one. We love all the barmies. Uh, a UFO hotspot in Russia. They found the body. Do, 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 of an alien do, 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 in the snow. The body is missing its right legs. It looks as though it's been attacked by animals. Or well, failing that, the people who put it there in the first place. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it, this, this will appeal to UFO lovers everywhere because, isn't it funny, in this day and age where even the cheapest phone has got a fantastic camera on it, they still manage to get a blurry picture of something in the snow which proves instantly to everybody that it's just fake. Igor Molokiv, one of the pair who uploaded the creepy video, said, We couldn't believe it when we saw it. What was spooky is there was no sign of spaceship. Because there was no spaceship. Because there is no little alien. It's something put in the snow and then try to sort of, you know, make it out to be something a bit like sort of Roswell and wherever these other places are. And people who go, oh, this spaceship come right down and it were here and it, it took the wife. Took the wife, bloody thing, he's brought her back again. And uh, they experimented on her, and she came back just the same as when she was taken away. And people love to believe that, because they always go, it's a big galaxy out there. It's a big ga- There's all sorts of people living on other worlds. No, there's not. No, there's not. But it's, it's a good thing, and people want to believe in it. So uh, it's, uh, it goes to prove that the Russians are as big a liars as we always thought they were. Good heavens above, a picture of Susan Boyle. Two Susan boys. Look at that. You'd never know that that was the dummy, would you? <laughs> no, you it's not bad, is it? Still got the same bad hair and everything. They've managed to get her off to a tea. It is very lifelike. It's good, isn't it? Very lifelike. Yes. It moves. It's very worrying. But it's at Madame Two Swords in Blackpool. But they've they've taken over from the really bad one in Blackpool, and uh, and so and they open tomorrow, I think. And so they put Susan Boyle. Nobody else knows who she is. They'll get who's that? They go, Susan Boyle. Who? Susan Boyle. All oh, right. Oh, she got bad hair, because she's a barmy. And does she sing? Yeah. And we've got another one on Britain's Got Talent. You've got the bloke from the caravan site. She's missed all this next door. And, uh, and he actually loved his girlfriend so much that he saved up to buy her a £45 engagement ring. But luckily, she's pregnant and had a baby already. And they're still living in the caravan, and he wants to take her away from all that. I fear it's not going to happen. Quarter past five. <laughs> These are the headlines. Boris Johnson's being accused of failing to get a grip on the tube after thousands of passengers were stuck on the hottest day of the year on the Jubilee line yesterday. Commuters eventually had to be evacuated through the tunnels after being trapped for over an hour following a power failure. The plane carrying the US First Lady has been in a near miss. Michelle Obama's flight was forced to abort a landing on Monday after coming too close to a military cargo plane. And it turns out parcel bombs have been sent to the Celtic football club manager, Neil Lennon. Similar packages have been sent to an MP and a lawyer in Scotland. Police are worried more could be sent. Let's have a check on the roads for you this morning. Being Wednesday, April the 20th, Jay Louise. Thank you very much, Steve. Good morning. Well, starting in... 97.3. 
Morning, everybody. Phil says, as it was so hot yesterday, other the usual pictures in the paper of two girls in bikinis running through the surf. No, you're, you're lucky today you get three girls from, uh, from South Wales sitting on the beach in the bikinis. And uh, because it was so hot, and apparently it looks like a library picture. Uh, the story that Nick's going to be doing this morning is the, the one of the Muslim fanatics. Now, you know the Muslim fanatics. This is the group called Muslim Against Crusades. They're rather stupid people. These are the ones who burnt the poppies, you remember, and got fined £50, which they then paid out of their benefits against everything in the Koran. These Muslims are on benefits. But there you go, either, neither here nor there. So what do they do? Because they're... I mean, to call them infantile or pathetically stupid or sad would be probably an insult to children. They write to New Scotland Yard saying they want to do a demonstration on the royal wedding day outside Westminster Abbey. Quite rightly, Scotland Yard have gone... Don't be so stupid. But they have to write to them in a language they understand. I'm terribly sorry, it won't be very convenient. So anyway, according to the police, they've now vowed to turn the wedding celebrations into a nightmare. Because they're stupid. They plan, wait for this one, it's it's almost laughable, uh, a forceful demonstration with thousands of protesters, for that read, seven, because they don't have any support anywhere at all. uh, They're set to burn the Union flag, images of the crown and the bridal couple. Police are anticipating violent clashes as the right-wing English Defence League have given notice they intend to protest against the Muslim Muslim hardliners. You know, you'd think these people could grow up. Scotland Yard uh, are now saying that 60 troublemakers charged with public order offences at past demonstrations have already been banned from the city of Westminster. Anyway, they've actually said that what they're going to do is they're going to do flag burning and everything else. They're rather stupid... You remember Mr Chowdhury fined £50 for burning burning poppies. And um, a a Mac spokesman, Abu Abu Jandal, said at the royal wedding, we're expecting thousands of people to protest. We may burn the flag and the crown. We will make models of the royal couple and burn those. They're obviously immensely stupid, aren't they? (laughs) Immensely stupid. I I suspect, actually, that the thousands upon thousands of people who are going to line the route will deal with you quite quickly, you silly little girl's blouse. What is the matter with these people? You know, you'd think that they might actually be adults, but they behave like three-year-olds. We're going to make an effigy of them and burn it. Well, I hope it's lifelike. I don't want to, I'd hate to think that you're doing something rather silly and childlike. Uh, talking of silly and childlike, Rav Wilding. You remember silly little Rav Wilding. This is the one who has a relationship. You'd never believe he was an adult, would you? You'd never believe he was an adult. But um, he was going out with Chantel, living the dream, and then they go to a park... And they have a big bust-up, and his face contorts with such rage. You can only imagine that had there not been a photographer there, things could have got out of hand. Anyway, he then twitters that he's finished with Chantel, and she twitters she's finished with him, and she's left the country, presumably for a photo shoot somewhere. And uh, then the BBC call him in the other day, because, to be honest with you, I'm sick to death of presenters' lives overshadowing programmes that they're attempting to present. And he is one of the worst presenters I've ever seen on television. There's quite a number of them. We seem to be dumbing down on the BBC. Let's find complete idiots, stick them on the television and go, you're a presenter. Which, of course, is not the case in Rav Wilding, who's uh, spent most of his time, you know, doing stupid interviews with little magazines. Because you remember we had... Josie, whatever her name was, who won Big Brother, and uh, she was going out with this little Australian, and so they sold all the stories of their, pay, you know, of their fake wedding and this and that. And then it turns out, and then, of course, laughable, we knew that he'd gone back to Australia because, frankly, he was obviously quite bored with this woman. And, uh, and they're on the front cover of OK! magazine saying, oh, you know, children, exactly the same way as Rav Wilding and silly little Chantel did. 
He's actually 33, but with a mental age of about five, I think. And, and he was saying, we're going to get married in Vegas. This is him and Chantel. And she's going to make a great mum. The next minute, they've split up. After four months. You could understand if it was years. You know, but four months is just being a silly little girl. And I'm afraid here, the BBC have hauled him in. And they've just said that they, they're sort of offering advice. I suspect the advice is, listen, if your private life continues to dominate the press, sweet pea, you know, we really don't want you because you're here to present programmes. You either want to be a presenter or you want to be a silly little numpty. And at the moment, you're a silly little numpty. Grow up, for God's sake. But that's in the paper today. There's no suggestion the BBC are going to drop him. Although, frankly, I mean, every time I watch him on the television, I get this sort of lump in my throat. A little bit difficult. Uh, Clemmy Moody, writing in the Daily Mirror today, is, is really behind the times with her news. She talks about Chloe Sims from The Only Way is Essex. Chloe is the one who... I don't know how you do... I don't want to be rude to the girl, because she's quite clearly not got a brain or anything going on at all there. But um, she keeps going on about being a Playboy bunny girl. She was never a Playboy bunny girl. Playboy have said she was not on our books. Never at all. She did work for a cheap, tacky website where she did that sort of glamour modelling. And, uh, and she has, of course... Uh, been found in bed with Simon Webb. And then on Sunday, she left a club with Jordan's ex, Dwight York. Uh, that was so many years ago. Uh, good old Chloe picking up other people's remnants and cast-offs. I think absolutely ideal. And unfortunately, Chloe is, well, unattractive. Just pushing your boobs up and having Botox and, uh, and putting on loads and loads of makeup does not, Chloe, make you attractive. We know this because Lauren Pope is on the same programme and she's not attractive either. However, the one bad bit of news is that the Arge is as fat as a house. He went out the other day, and when the camera panned around the back, I remember thinking, blimey, you've got Boy George's arse. Because Boy George has got the biggest bottom you've ever seen. Boy George's bottom is as big, and there's, a, there's another very famous television presenter, I won't tell you who it is, <coughs> um, because she's got... But when you see her on television, she looks lovely. It isn't until the camera goes round the back and that you realise that, that Boy George looks like the big black woman in Tom and Jerry. Thomas! You know that one? And all you ever saw was her bottom. You never saw anything else. We never saw this woman's face, but she sort of, you know, stamped her foot and all the rest of it as Thomas and poor little Jerry meandered around the kitchen. And it's a bit like that. But when you watch... And there are pictures of poor Harry, an embarrassment to gay men everywhere, I'm afraid. It really is just too, too awful for words. And Joey Essex. Joey Essex is getting loads of coverage. And Amy, Amy, Amy Charles, is a bit worried she's being frozen out because she's discovered that other people brought in are getting more airtime. And uh, she's not happy about that. I don't know, Amy. I think we could actually drop you and your career could finish tomorrow. If, of course, you seriously believe it is a career. But you've got a good agent. But to be honest with you, um, you know, we're not that interested. You're a bit simple. Uh, and for that read, stupid. How you ever got a business? Gold alone knows. Um, another one here. Uh, this is in, in a monastery in Sinai in Romania. Uh, they were having a barbecue in the monastery. Don't ask me why they were having a barbecue in the monastery, but they were. And uh, they're all there, la, 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 singing and all the rest. And a bear wanders in to the monastery. Well, you've never seen such panic. People, run, run! Because I was watching a programme on the telly yesterday, and, and it was one of these guys, I, quite like, I can't remember what his name is, but he was out watching the whale hunt in, I don't know where it was, Iceland or something like that, whatever it was. They didn't want him to film the whaling because they say that they've been doing it for years 
And, of course, the British is, don't kill whales. We don't like whales being killed. And, and they say, no, the whales come to us. They want to be killed. I mean, quite mad, of course. And uh, so they didn't want to film it, but they go out there and they, they patrol the ice because at this time of year they do the whaling and the polar bears know that the whales will be coming in and they, they, they bring the whale in, they cut it up and everybody gets a piece of it, even if you don't like whale. You know, it's no good saying I think I'll be vegetarian today because everybody eats whale and they make tourist stuff and all the rest of it. And so they're out on the ice and, they're watching, and there's a polar bear, a mother and two cubs. And polar bears, you know, can smell... You know, people on the wind... I think from about 20 miles away. They've got phenomenal smelling. Like that. And, and, um... And... Uh, I quite like doing that now, actually. I might do it all throughout the whole programme. And, and so they're there watching these polar bears, and, and one of the cubs starts walking towards the crew, slowly. And, and they're going, it's actually coming a bit close. And it comes to within a few feet... Of where they're standing. Now, I don't know, even cubs have got big claws on them. And they're all going, shoo. <laughs> shoo. Like the polar bear's understanding this. So the polar bear comes a little bit closer. Obviously, you go, is this food? And then all of a sudden they go, go away. And it turns around and runs back to its mum. But for a brief moment, it was a bit panicky. It was a little bit panicky. Who used to turn up for EastEnders high on drink and ecstasy? you never believe it. If not for my mum, I'd have lost my son. Who's that? Patsy Palmer. Patsy Palmer. Patsy, what are you doing, Patsy? High on drink and ecstasy? Are you mad? Good. I know, but it doesn't matter. She's just done this interview talking about, I turn up for EastEnders still high on drink and ecstasy. Are you bloody mad? What on earth is the matter with you? I know. But why, is, why on earth would somebody who has everything ever do that? And then, like, I mean, I'm assuming every single person you know, used to do drink and drugs. Well, drink, yes, absolutely. But you sort of, you think to yourself, you must be bloody mad. It kind of gives somebody a story, though, doesn't it? And that way, they then sell an autobiography. LBC 97.3. Morning, everybody. 28 minutes to six. It's Wednesday morning. God, if it's as hot as yesterday, you're going to burn to pieces out there. So just be careful. And after that disaster on the tube. They'll be talking about that a little bit later on. Jenna says, why are you saying fat black lady? Because it's the lady in the Tom and Jerry things, and she is black, and she's got the biggest bottom you've ever seen in your entire life. Well, there you go. You need to watch Tom and Jerry. It's very, you'd find it very funny. You in particular would find it very, very funny. And um, Matthew says, I remember when photos of Boy George were in the papers, and the headline was Culture Chub. Oh, he was very fat, but the trouble is, he, that's why he wears those long outfits, it, to cover the fact he's as Big as a house, I'm afraid. Big as a house. Here's a dreadful picture, guaranteed to shock everybody this morning. Front page of The Sun. It's the shattered face of a four-year-old girl. She was sitting with her dad in a van. Her name is Jersey Lou. I know, I've never heard of the name either. It's a little bit peculiar. But uh, she was sitting in the van in Grimsby, in Lincolnshire. And uh, her father gets out the van to stop Yobbs kicking a football against the side of it. And one of the yobs picks up a brick and lobs it through the window. Police are now saying, you know, we need to uh, need to find who this person is. And as they say here, you know, how on earth could anybody do this to a child? She was not cold by this, as, as you would be. You know, we need to find this person very, very quickly. Kyle Perry said, who throws a house brick at an innocent little girl? The coward who did this must hand himself into the police. He could have killed her. 
Fifteen thugs were kicking a football against the vehicle. She was strapped in the passenger seat. She got a broken nose, two front teeth lost, and was badly bruised. Shards were embedded in her skin of the, uh, of the, uh, of the glass. And I agree, absolutely. They have to find this person very, very quickly. And they will find them. They will find them, and we're going to name and shame. Because you have to name and shame these stupid people. Because there's too many of these people out there now. And uh, we have to, you know, we just have to get them in prison as quick as possible. We have to get them in there. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Remember Rio Ferdinand's stalker, the mad one? She says, uh, we go way back, I'm a one-man woman. Don't be so stupid, dear. Don't be so stupid. You can't turn up in a hoodie outside his house at night, start ringing his doorbell. That's why you've been found guilty. You're a fantasist. You're a very stupid person. And spitting at police officers. I mean, you really are even more stupid. Uh, Karen Brady echoes everybody this morning. Big Brother star Chantel Houghton, otherwise known as Stupid Person, was dumped this week by TV presenter boyfriend Rav Wilding. The whole affair was a pretty public one. First they were photographed arguing in a park, then Rav tweeted sadly, Chantel... Uh, the phrase, who cares, springs to mind, she says. I agree totally. Silly little Rav, grow up, try and be an adult, don't be a complete buffoon all your life, otherwise you'll never make it as a TV presenter. You're struggling at the moment. I've never heard of Mario Balotelli, but I think he's a footballer. He's, he's 20 years old, he's obviously very rich, and you know what happens to very rich footballers? They go to casinos because they're bored out of their mind because they don't play football that often. And uh, he won £25,000 in the casino. He earns 100000 a week. So, you know, roughly the same as the rest of us, I suppose. And, uh, and he won 25000 So he walks outside and gives £1,000 to a tramp. How stupid is that? It's stupid. I don't care what you say. He's a tramp sitting on the pavement. You give him an orange or an apple or a McDonald's or something like that. You don't give £1,000. What's he going to buy with it? New carpets for the dog? Oh, God, they get accommodation free, these trips. You don't think they sleep... It's only the ones round here. It's all the druggies who sleep in the doorways. You know, round, round Manchester, they've got loads of places they can go to. Somebody's going to go, you're a thousand pounds? Bang. Give it to me. Never give somebody a thousand... I wouldn't give her a thousand pounds. She'd waste it. She'd spend it on outfits. You know, girly things. Oh, I think I'll buy some makeup. You know, or something like that. You know, another holiday to, you know, Turkey, to sit on the beach and do yoga with people. You know, that kind of stuff. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Talking of ridiculous, Russell Brand's new film has been branded ridiculous, I'm afraid. You know, you cannot remake a classic film like Arthur. It just shows, A, that he's a one-trick pony. Secondly, what on earth Dame Helen Mirren got involved with? I've got no idea. But uh, she was wearing a very funny outfit as well, which is good. Thank you. OK. So. <sighs> One of those days. <laughs> uh, Theo Walcott has written a children's book. Actually, I'm not sure what to say about that either. And, and bad news. If you go into a pantomime this year, and come on, hands up, we all love pantomimes. Oh, no, we don't. Oh, yes, we do. We go to pantomimes. But, uh, unfortunately, this one is Snow White and the... Well, we're not having any dwarfs this year. It is going to be Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, but they're going to be children dressed up with masks on. Uh, for simple reason, dwarves are very expensive, and, and there's a shortage in the country. And so the producer of the pantomime, Peter... But, no, he's, Peter Burroughs is not the producer of the pantomime. He's actually... He runs an agency for dwarf actors. He says the panto will lose its magic. Well, I have to be honest, if you're going to have dwarves... I think children like little people, don't they? they? Are you allowed to say dwarves, or are they people of restricted stature? You see, to be honest, I think dwarves, because that's what they are. It's dwarfism is the, actual, is the actual illness, isn't it? Dwarfism is what, what they've got. 
but it is too expensive. So a lot of pantomimes just use two or three and the rest are padded out with children. Or failing that, you never ever see all seven on stage at the same time. They just go and they, they walk round the back of the stage, change the hat or something like that. And they go, oh, look, here comes Dopey or whatever. And on comes Dopey and then all the other ones. I can't remember who they are. But uh, former Page Three favourite, Linda Lusardi. God, that was more years ago than I care to remember. Uh, will be Snow White at the Grand Theatre in the West Midlands. Can you believe that in April we're talking about the fact they're not booking dwarves for the, pan- for the panto? She's already booked for it, and we're talking about the pantomime. Apparently panto fan John Ely, a teacher from Walsall, plans to boycott the show. You silly little man, honestly. <laughs> plans to boycott the panto. What, well, you're not having dwarfs? Get the dwarfs out. He's a teacher. How did he ever make it as a teacher? He says you can't have Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs without dwarfs. Well, they are having them. They're just not going to be little people. It's like schools cutting back. How can you have a school without books, John? How can you have a school without without pupils? You know, when you can. He says it's ridiculous. You could understand it in a school pantomime, but not in a big theatre. Well, it's very, very expensive. The executive producer, Jonathan Kiley, said dwarfs cost a lot of money. You know, so they're, they're, they're saving money. Otherwise, the seat prices go up. Um, there's some silly bloke who turned up being interviewed on the television yesterday, and he takes an ironing board uh, onto the M1. You know, because we, we still, you know, even in a tsunami, they can rebuild the road in a matter of days over here. Well, shall we discuss uh, how the... Um, and, you know, it goes on for weeks. You know, it can take forever and a day. And uh, so, consequently, he, he took an ironing board out there and started ironing a shirt, which is a bit stupid, because he wasn't actually ironing a shirt. He was pretending to iron a shirt, because there was no electricity, and the iron had nowhere to plug it in. So, and he sort of got his 35 seconds of fame on the television. I don't know why, they must, it must be a really desperate time. Don't look at the television. Don't look at the television. You upset yourself. Looking at um, China, where they're uh, rounding up cats and dogs and everything else. No different to here, yeah. But they, but over there, they're eating them. That's the difference. But they've just rounded up a load of dogs. Yeah, this, this is a restaurant where they serve cat. Don't, don't look, don't look, you'll upset yourself. And they, they sort of take, this is an old bit of footage. I've seen this bit of footage before. And, um, uh, don't look at it because it's going to end up in a pot. They are. Yeah, they're stroking it. Oh, that's nice. Let's have that one. And they, some of the, I think the Animal Liberation Front, somewhere, have just literally freed all these dogs. They stopped the lorry that was taking the lorries to the, uh, the restaurant. Yes. Well, you see, I don't like battery hens. But, I'm, you know, unfortunately, I think if you're a hen, you don't kind of know what's going on in life, do you? I think if I was a whale, I'd be going, I'll just go for a little swim today. What the hell is that? You know, and the, and the Japanese whalers who go out there and do the most dreadful things. You've taken me away from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs now. I'm not happy. I wasn't happy about that at all. I got so, so tied up with watching the television, with sort of looking at sort of the Chinese who eat anything. If it's got legs, they eat it. It's as simple as that. They, they don't think like we do. Yes, yes, dogs and cats in Vietnam. And the Philippines, I think they eat dog, don't they? It is quite dreadful. Uh, a lot of people talking about this ridiculous outfit the other day. This burkini that was worn by uh, Nigella Lawson, looking an absolute turnip. I mean, really. As somebody said, which is what I said on the programme, that, you know, if you don't want to go out in the sun, dear, just stay in. Because you look stupid. Or do, go in a... Pri- oh, she looked ridiculous. I mean, she looked like... I can only show the picture there. You probably can't see that. It's... Yeah, pop in. Th- th- this isn't her, but this is somebody wearing the identical outfit. And... It's, uh, Nigella, somebody said, why don't you just lose weight, Nigella, if you're worried about your weight. 
This is the same outfit that she was wearing, but of course in a slightly bigger size. Oh, she was wearing that. that? She was wearing it because she didn't want to be in the sun in Australia, so she wore that. But it's a a bigger version of it, and it comes with the hat and everything. Was she wearing the hat? Yes, everything. Really? Yes, (laughs) I know everything. I know. Well, she said she didn't want to be out in the sun, but of course, when you go in the water, it clings to your body, and it's not an attractive look. It's not. Yeah. I'm just lovely. I mean, you know, to be honest with you, I mean, I think you'd look great, you know, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Buying that one. Just realised what I can buy for Christmas now. <laughs> Solves that problem, doesn't it? Oh, God, I thought there was going to be a problem with, with buying Christmas presents, but not this year, which I quite like. Uh, Steve. African-American actress Lillian Randolph voiced the original and best part of the maid in the Tom and Jerry originals. Her voice was changed in later cartoons on the basis of racial stereotyping. She used to go, Thomas. But it was wonderful. It was just, it was just wonderful. And I bought all the Tom and Jerry's. I've got box sets of Tom and Jerry. Because they're, they're, they're good. In, and you can watch them now. And they're as good today as they ever were. They're as good today as they ever were. Absolutely love them. Morning, Steve. As Mark. After the recent good weather we're having, are you going to uh, stick your neck out and make a prediction for the summer? I think it's going to be a bit of a wet summer this year. I think it's going to be... I do hope so. And the reason I say I hope so is because already they are predicting a drought. And they've said that certain reservoirs are running dry. But I can tell you that the weather for today is a misty start. Now, when they say misty start, that generally means it's going to be a great day ahead. Mostly sunny, very warm, 25 degrees today, similar to yesterday. If you're going out and you're going out with the children and you're going anywhere in this Easter week... Either cover up with a hat or sunglasses or um, or cream or something like that. Not enough cream in the world to cover you, is there? Anyway, and, um, but make sure, because it's so strong, the sun, and people just go, oh, it's great. Some people are great because they're acclimatised to it. 90% of people aren't. And the one thing you don't want to get is skin cancer. And you can get skin cancer. It doesn't have to be hot and sunny. It just has to be, you know, any other day. Uh, current temperature at the moment, 11 degrees. Tomorrow... Warm again, the high, 26 degrees. You see, when they say warm again, 26, double it, add 30. That's 26, 52. That's 80. I think that's hot, not warm. That's 82 degrees, not warm. That's hot. Friday, dry and sunny, highs of 23 degrees. Saturday, another dry day, plenty of sunshine, 23 degrees. And Sunday, staying warm, dry and sunny, high of 24 degrees. In a moment, why it is that FedEx aren't flexible? Because, as you know, I have a lot of parcels delivered by FedEx. I order online, according to the internet, because I think the internet's fantastic. I love love ordering stuff from America. And I always say to them, could you FedEx it over? For the simple reason, it's over here in about three days. You can get stuff from California to here in three days on FedEx. And and I just love it. It's just that I'm never in to get the parcel, because you never know when they're going to turn up. And normally, I just go up the road where they've got a big FedEx depot, and, uh, and I collect my parcel, because it arrives in at Stansted, I think. And, and then it goes to the FedEx depot, and they put a card through the door saying, we tried to call, you call the number and you say, I'll be up tomorrow and collect it. And I nip up to, I think it's the Feltham Trading Estate, where there's a big FedEx depot. Not yesterday. Completely unflexible. I'll tell you about it in a moment, because it's quarter to six. 
These are the headlines. Transport for London's apologised after thousands of rush hour commuters were trapped in tube trains on the hottest day of the year. Some people were stuck for more than an hour before being evacuated through tunnels after a major power failure on the Jubilee line. But TfL tell us they don't expect any problems this morning. Detectives are searching for a parcel bomber who sent devices to Celtic manager Neil Lennon, a Scottish politician and a lawyer who represented Lennon. All three had been sent through the post and were intended to kill or maim. Prince Charles has just become the longest-serving heir apparent in British history. He takes over the record from his great-great-grandfather, King Edward VII. Let's have a check on the roads for you this morning. Let's get you there nice and quickly with the help of Jay Louise. Thank you, Steve. Good morning. 37.3. Morning, everybody. Uh, 11 minutes to 6. So yesterday, I've ordered something from America, and, uh, and I wasn't in, and so I get the card through the door. Because I, I knew it was there because I, I track all my parcels. And the good thing with FedEx is that you just click on the thing and you can see, you know, picked up from here, delivered to here, gone to depot. So normally, in fact, for the past goodness knows how many years, uh, the depot is up the road at the Feltham Trading Estate. It's opposite Sainsbury's, so I can nip in and do Sainsbury's and then nip over the road, pick up the parcel. Nice place to park and, uh, you know, the ladies in there are lovely. So yesterday I get the card through and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, it's a different sort of card now. But it's collect from Byfleet. Exactly. Where's that, for God's sake? I live in Twickenham. So I call the number. Hello, Steve Allen. Here's my tracking number, blah, 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 blah. She said, yes, yeah, it's, it's on the van for delivery today. Because what they do is they come out one day, and if you're not in, they put the card through, then they try it on the next day. And I said, well, hang on to it. I'll collect it. I said, but Byfleet? I said, can you deliver it to my local FedEx place? I've got a big one up the road from here. So she said, oh, there'll be an extra charge for that. I thought, why would there be an extra charge? It's FedEx to FedEx. It's going from... Surely they have vans that go from depot to depot. But she wasn't budging. She absolutely wasn't budging. So I've got to go to Byfleet today to go and pick up the parcel. But I tell you what, I bet you anything there's going to be a cock-up. I've just got this feeling that she'll go, oh, it's not here, it's out on the van again. And I've just got this feeling I'm going to be chasing a FedEx van around the countryside, even though I said, well, listen, hang on to it, I'll come and collect it tomorrow morning. Because I've got to find Byfleet, first of all. And then it gets worse. As you know, every day I get in, I empty my, my pockets of change. And I put it in my tall spaghetti jar. And when the, when the spaghetti jar gets full to the top, I, I take it in to Sainsbury's and I pour it into their machine, or somebody's machine, and they make 8.9 pence in every pound. So it's, it's easy money. And then I can have it changed up. And you just pour it all in and you tip it into the machine. The machine counts it all out and then prints out a receipt. So I start pouring in the money. Because I filled up my little my little spaghetti jar, and uh, and th- as I'm pouring it in, I just and you can see the total. It's got so many pound coins, so many two piece, five piece, and I go to 105 pounds. Bit excited about this. Bit excited because this is kind of you know going to see me through the next month, and because uh, Easter's very expensive time, very very expensive, and and then it says on there if the money that you're changing up is more than 100 pounds, you have to give us 24 hours notice. So I'm thinking, all oh, right, that's okay. I don't, I, I can so I carried on pouring in. Anyway, I get to two hundred and sixty-six pounds. Okay, it's not the most I've ever done. I'm I'm quite good at at saving. Well, I say I'm quite good at saving, and then I spend it again. But so I got my two hundred sixty-six pounds. So I go to the I queue up, you know, with everybody. I've got my little bit of paper, and and I said to her, I said, I said, I know um, that I'm probably going to have to come back tomorrow to collect this. So she goes, Oh, yes, you are. I said, Do you make a note of it? Otherwise, how do they know I've been here? So she's made a note. 
in Sainsbury's, in Richmond, that, you know, Mr Allen's coming back in tomorrow, 260... Now, I know what's going to happen. I've just got this feeling. I'm going to turn up, present them with things, you're going to say, we're going to need 24 hours' notice. And I'm going to say, no, no, I, was, I did this yesterday. I've already told the people here, so now you should have the money. I'm hoping it's going to be a smooth transaction, because they've made about... In fact, actually, I can tell you exactly... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. Wait, wait, wait. I'm just going here to my coat. Because I've just realised that uh, it's in my pocket. And I can tell you how much commission they made on the uh, on the money. Here's my little bit of paper. And, oh, blimey. I told you exactly, you know, all the different things. They make um, £26 and a penny. That's what they made out of me doing, because I had £292.28 in change, and I get £266, manager signature revived, blah, blah, blah. And it says here, present this voucher at any checkout. But strangely enough, it does say on the thing, uh, please redeem today at this store. Well, they've now put an extra notice on the machine on Coinstar saying we need 24 hours notice. So I'm thinking, am I going to go back in there and get, well, you should have redeemed it yesterday. And I'm going to go, but your notice says 24 hours. So I'll let you know tomorrow. Be interesting, won't it? Why is my life such a drama? It's normally so simple, isn't it? But uh, not at the uh, not at the moment. Uh, strange enough, they're all reprinting stories in the paper today that we did weeks ago, like Michael Barrymore, who fell off a horse whilst filming Celebrity Coach Trip. You missed Celebrity Coach Trip. It's got the real naffos on this one. It's got Phil and Gary, Katie Price's friends, and they're on Celebrity Coach Trip, which causes a bit of a joke actually, because they obviously seriously believe that they are celebrities, which is going to sort of, kind of, sort of knock it... I can't remember. Michael, Michael Barrymore. It was going to be Jodie Marsh, because they've obviously plumbed the Z-list celebrity agency. And then she heard that Barrymore was going to be on, so she pulled out. And and there's a few other people you've never heard of, I'm afraid, so it's, it'd be worth watching. <laughs> and uh, Essex hunk Kirk Norcross. I don't think so, Kirk. is apparently going to hire a fairground for his birthday, because he's fed up with being upstaged by Mark Wright. He's going to spend ten grand. Yeah, I bet. It's going to be one small, cheap little ride out there, and it'll be done as a contra deal, I bet you. A source said Kirk hasn't been used as much on the show lately, and he wants to go all out to ensure he gets good screen time. It's a pretend programme, Kirk. It really is. It's, 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 it's not real. It's only pretend. Danny Minogue, posing in a very tight-fit dress, very airbrushed. She's lost all the weight after the baby. Well, she had that a while ago, didn't she, the baby? It's not a baby anymore, isn't it? About 17 or something. And uh, they say she's lost all this weight. She's launching a new beauty range. God's sake, honestly. Have you noticed? Any- I think I'm bringing out one myself. Polyfiller. You know, and I'll just sort of... I'll sort of relaunch Polyfiller with my face on it going, suits any old Essex, you know, thing. You know, trowel it on, love, and then <laughs> scrape it out where your eyes were. A bit like the woman in Tom and Jerry. You know when she gets the custard pie in the face and they have to sort of put their fingers in? A bit like Mrs Doubtfire. You Virginia Doubtfire. And, and we sort of pull all the cream apart. Hello, dear. <laughs> I love that bit of the film. I, thought, I didn't think he looked at all like a woman. I absolutely didn't think he looked at... It's like I never thought that Dustin Hoffman and Tootsie looked like a woman either. I really didn't. I never thought, you know, some like it hot. I never thought the Tony Curtis looked like a woman. I thought Jack Lemon looked a bit like a woman. But I never thought Tootsie, and with all that makeup and the prosthetics and everything else, and you Virginia, you Virginia don't fail. Never, thought, never looked at all like a woman. I don't know how on earth you could ever be convinced by something like that. And yet we, we've had some in the papers recently. So, some some uh, some sex changes and stuff like that, who've looked really good. There was one the other day who was wearing a bikini. Well, I defy anybody 
defy anybody to tell the difference. But yet you get the, the actors, you know, they all want to play women. You notice, all the straight actors want to play women. They want to put women's clothing on, the whole thing. I think Robin Williams went to all sorts of lengths. You know, he had to be waxed fully because he, he's literally, he's like he's wearing an Afghan rug. I mean, he seriously has got... He's a bit Richard Keyes. Hair on Richard Keyes' hands grows during a programme. It's really awful. It's just... If you are a really hairy person, it's really horrible. Especially if you don't like hair. Here's all the uh, Regent Street. Do you know, I should have driven down Regent Street. I think I'll do it on Friday morning, because this Friday morning is Good Friday. It's called Good Friday because, A, we're here and we're live. And we can't remember what time we're here. We think we're here from 8 till 11. We're not totally convinced, because we think James Max is here from five to eight. Now, I know that he's definitely on before me, but on Easter Monday, uh, the Easter Sunday is as normal. But on Easter Monday, I'm here for four hours. So if you're setting off on a long journey, we're here from six till ten, I think, on Easter. Yes, because Christo finishes at six. in. Well, that's the theory, if he's well. Now, at the moment, he's a little bit like that. So he's, he's not sounding... Too good. And I did predict the other day, a friend of mine said to me, he said, oh, is, is Christo all right? I said, no, he, he's not very well at all. And they said, he'll be off for a week. I said, oh, dreadful, how dreadful. Noreen says, can you send love to Bridget and David, please? Absolutely. No hesitation on that one. And please, Christo, get well very soon. We miss you. I know. He was texting me yesterday, bless his heart, because I refused to answer the phone. And, uh, and he starts texting backwards and forwards. In the end, he said, I'm not texting you anymore. You're being silly. Because I was being silly, I was. All, I don't know what you're talking about, which was good. We survived the fun factory, says Noreen. It was brilliant. The children can run right. Everything's padded. Slides, ropes, ladders. Do you know, I wish they did an adult version. I wish they did an adult playground for, for the simple reason that I've said before on the programme, I'm sure that loads of adults would love to go out there and have a go on a roundabout or climb, you know, some, some slides or something like that. You know, and slide down on, on your bottom. But then Paul O'Grady, the other day, went out. And he said, he said, I went out, he said, I've forgotten that I'm of that age. He said, I climbed a tree. He said, and I fell out. Now, I used to, as, as, as a child, climb trees. I've looked at them now thinking, I'll do that. And you suddenly realise you cannot lift your body weight onto a branch. LBC. Hi, I'm reporting live with the Freeview HD... Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. Eight minutes past six. Wednesday morning. Easter week. My God, you've, you've picked the best week for the, for the weather. It's the... It's absolutely... The school children must be delighted. Look, a nice day. We can go out and play in the sunshine. Cover up, though. Cover up. Uh, sad news. Elizabeth Slayton, who played uh, Sarah Jane in Doc 2, passed away... Uh, the other day, from cancer, she'd been suffering for uh, for some time. That makes all the, the papers say. I still keep looking at these pictures of London's Regent Street. It looks like they're about to do a war um, a war parade, a victory parade, with all these Union... F- I've never seen so many uh, Union Jacks up and down the street. There must be one, two, three, four, five. There must be um, about 50 or 60 of them, of these flags. They're big flags. You notice them at the uh, Piccadilly Circus. They look absolutely fantastic. And do you remember the story some time ago of, of the dog who... Um, let me just explain the story roughly. I'll, I'll read it out to you and then you, you'll remember the story. A high-flying city couple were told yesterday to return the black Labrador they ordered to be snatched by a detective. Stockbroker Victoria Huxter says she was given the dog Bella who she used to dog-sit by banker Leslie Jordan Whitaker and analyst husband Ian in September because they couldn't cope with the pet then called Bailey. They had her for six weeks, 
but she was Miss Huxter's beloved pet for 18 months at the High Court. Mrs Justice Sharp said the Whitakers of Hampstead started proceedings for Bella's return in autumn 2009, but didn't pursue them, instead deciding out of the blue to take matters into their own hands. The dog was taken from Battersea Park, London on April Fool's Day while being exercised by Huxter's dog walker. Filmed for a future Channel 4 documentary and involved investigator Colin Butcher, the judge told the Whitakers to hand her to Mr Huxter's solicitors by 10am today prior to an ownership case in July. The people fighting over dogs nowadays, it just gets, just gets absolutely mad, doesn't it? And uh, hottest day of the year yesterday, 77 degrees Fahrenheit. 25 degrees, 58, well it's just under, isn't it? Forecasters say it'll go to 80 over Easter. So if you're going, you're now going to make different plans, aren't you? I can now tell that people who go, right, that's it, we're going away for Easter. Just remember to take the radio and remember to podcast and you'll be fine. Um, another one here. Uh... Um, have you ever heard of RuPaul, says Tony? He's the only drag act that looks like a woman. You think so? <laughs> I'd, I mean, I suppose he does if you haven't seen many drag acts before. And he's about seven foot tall, isn't he, RuPaul? Used to be, um, he used to have a show on the television. I can't remember what the show was. Uh, Paul in Croydon, driving a bus, poor soul. Hanging basket updates, too early, too early for them. About another two, three weeks, easy. Another two, three weeks easy of hanging baskets. Um, Anne Widdicombe today with the new hairstyle. I, don't, I can't remember if she's dancing or what she's doing at the moment. But uh, she says, I recently competed in Britain's best dish. Because, I mean, she's turned into a media junkie now. She'll turn up on any old programme. And uh, was rebuked by a judge for failing to peel a cucumber when I cut it up for a salad. After the programme, I discovered that the division between those who've never peeled a cucumber in their lives and those who never serve it with the skill skin still on is even deeper than those who put milk in before and those who do not after the tea has been poured into a cup. The judge, celebrity chef John Burton Race, swore that eating the peel gives you stomachache, but neither I nor any guest of mine has doubled up after consuming one of my much-loved cucumber sandwiches. God, you can just imagine, can't you? Cucumber sandwiches from Anne Widdicombe, a woman so deluded she thought she could dance, and she couldn't at all. So now she's turned up in Britain's best dish. It's just anywhere for money, isn't it, really? But uh, perhaps she put a little bit more effort into that. Have you noticed, though, that she's, she's always got a lot of bitterness going on? Because every programme she's on, she complains about, I'm not wearing that outfit. I will not wear that T-shirt. I will not run round a field. I do not peel cucumbers. It's all me, 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 as far as Anne Widdicombe is concerned. But, uh, whereas really, uh, you know, even when she went on British Fattest, what was that, that diet programme? Was it Fat Club, where she had to fit club, celebrity fit club? You know, quite ridiculous. A celebrity. A celebrity. She thinks she's a celebrity. I thought she was an MP. Lost all credibility, as far as I'm concerned. Rather a shame. Um, Channel 4, Channel 5, have got uh, programmes on over Easter. Does anybody seriously sit down and watch television over Easter? Do we? Have we kind of lost what it is over Easter? You know, supposed to get. nobody thinks about going to church, do they? There's such a minority of people now who say, you know, we should remember the Easter message. Most kids go, Easter, um, eggs, it's chocolate, and it's going out and it's going to the beach, and it's going on holiday and it's buying a DVD. I'm not sure whether or not actually watching films on television. Channel 5, they say, are running Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. God, blimey, has anybody not seen that film yet? Home Alone 3 and Chicken Run. Crikey. <laughs> Seems like a lazy cop-out, I'm afraid, there. And uh, if you're a big fan of Last of the Summer Wine, and who wasn't? A Taste of England, as it used to be. The cottage where Nora Batty ruled the roost has gone on the market for £180,000. 
I mean, it's ridiculous. When you look at flats in London that sell for 300,000, 400,000 pounds, this has gone on the market for 180,000, featured in countless episodes. And, um, of course, it just seems bizarre now, doesn't it, that Cathy Staff, uh, who died three years ago now, three years ago when she was uh, 80, uh, used to rule the roost here. It's a two-bedroom house. It's in Holmfirth, which is where they film. And uh, it's full of signed photos from cast members. Uh, the man who bought it, bought it in 2004, he paid 80000 80, for it, and he lets it out as a holiday home, if you want to rent it, for between £270 and £660 a week. It's not bad in income, is it? It's not bad. He said, I would only sell it on the proviso that it continues as the Nora Batty Cottage. Well, I would think anybody who buys it would want it to continue as the Nora Batty College, uh, Cottage. Whether or not they'd, they'd want to rent it out to people, I don't know. I'm really not too sure. Kelly Osborne has defended her friend Madonna on Piers Morgan's TV show, calling her a really good mum. After Morgan questioned her parenting, Kelly and her mother, Sharon, appeared on Morgan's CNN show on Monday night. Uh, Morgan has a long-running feud with Madonna, having declared her annoying and too boring to be on his show, and he told Kelly and Sharon he disapproved of the singer's daughter, Lord Ayres, becoming a public figure. You see, to be honest with you, I think it's up to Madonna what she does with her kids. If she wants to, you know, tout Lordez around, that's entirely up to her. Doesn't make any... And who cares, really, what, what the Osbournes think? Goodness sake, honestly. Barmiest family in the world. Quarter past six. News headlines this morning. Sam Pittis. Transport for London has apologised after... T7.3. Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. Welcome along. It's Wednesday morning. It's LBC. And it's April the 20th. Where are expats more likely to be happiest? Would it be Spain? Would it be Andalusia? No, Canada, apparently, is the place that you are the happiest. Uh, the reason is they say that Canada has the, the best quality of life. They say it's uh, got peaceful ambience and sound banking systems. They also laud its natural beauty, healthcare systems and education standards. It's interesting, isn't it? I had an uncle who, uh, sadly not with us anymore, but he was, uh, he was a university lecturer over in Canada and used to send over this lovely magazine uh, which had some of the most stunning scenery. I mean, absolutely stunning. Never went there. Never went to Canada. Liked to go and have a look at the place, but then there's loads. I'd like to go to Ireland. Never actually been to any of these. All these places you should go to. Never been to the Lake District. I'd love to go to the Lake District. I'd quite like to go anywhere, really, at the moment. Travelling is, is something that, that we all do, but we tend to... Yeah, I can't really... I'm not going... You see, I'm, I say I'd like to go to the Lake District. I've just bought a DVD, because you know I like fireworks. Well, I was so intrigued to discover there is a DVD of fireworks. And so you just put it on the television, and it's it's just fireworks. And so I... In fact, and then I got carried away and bought two DVDs. Different firework displays, but nevertheless, fireworks on the television. And finally, finally, Celia Imrie's book turned up. So I was very grateful, because we talked to Celia Imrie last week... Oh, right. Ah, that's why. So it, it, it probably came in but went, went to the wrong department. And um, so I'm looking forward to reading that because she went out last week with Christopher Timothy on In Conversation. And so it'll be running this week on Sunday between 6 and 7 and then in the evening from 9 o'clock, just after Simon Calder's travel uh, programme, there'll be the brand new In Conversation. Looking for the perfect man? Looking for the perfect man? How do you find the perfect man? Look at his hands. Apparently, this is now proven scientifically. Men with index fingers shorter than their ring fingers are more attractive. So you have to work out now your index finger. Is it shorter than your ring finger? No. 
So I'm now very depressed. Because if it is, you're more attractive. The lower the ratio between the index, the second digit, or 2D, and the ring finger, the fourth or 4D... Oh, wait a minute. Ah, wait a minute. So the uh, the index, the second digit, OK... You know, actually, it is a bit shorter than the fourth one. It So I'm a little bit attractive. I'm not... And in fact, there's not really a lot in it, but it's definitely a little bit... Sh- I'm, I'm re- you'll now all be trying this. Don't try to be driving the car, because it's not advisable. But if you put your hand flat down, you j- just do, do your right hand, you've got your thumb, then the next finger, OK, is that shorter than the fourth finger, the one next to the little finger? If it is, you're reasonably attractive. If it's a lot shorter, you're really attractive. I've never tried this before, so you'll be trying that now. The uh, researcher, Dr... Camille Ferdenzi says preferences might have evolved because it increases female reproductive senses. So, in other words, researchers at the Geneva University measured the digit ratios of 49 men and showed their pictures to women. Faces were rated for short-term attractiveness, such as a dinner date or a holiday romance, and long-term as a partner. And most people looking for a partner were highly correlated to the 2D-4D ratio, with the lower ratio the higher the score. You didn't follow that at all, that last bit. I could just tell, actually. So, in other words, if, you're, if your second digit is a lot lower than the first one and they showed a picture of somebody, that would be the one that people thought would be a long-term partner as opposed to just somebody going out for dinner with. It's ridiculous, of course, isn't it? But uh, I pass it on to you merely because the papers put it... I mean, either you fancy or you don't. It's, I've said before, you can go into a club or a bar and, and your eyes meet and all of a sudden somebody will look across the room. It's as if it goes... And it it just passes over, and you look at someone, you go, you're really attractive. And they sort of look right through you, and you think, you haven't even noticed me, have you? And that's what happens, because either people fancy you, or they don't fancy you. And if they do, it's it's actually quite... I'm always quite surprised, actually, when people fancy me. That's why... Well, nobody fancies me at all, but that's why I say... uh, That's why I said I'm quite surprised when people do fancy me. They like the radio programme... They just sort of, you know, they just go, oh, I didn't think you'd look like that. As if they were expecting a male model or somebody like that. But I'm not. Uh, Nick Ferrari this morning, as the AV debate bubbles on, uh, Baroness Varsi and Vince Cable will be joining Nick to argue their sides in the argument. Plus former Lib Dem leader Ming Campbell will be telling Nick why he thinks we should proceed with caution in Libya. And London's Mayor Boris Johnson will be joining Nick in the studio to answer your questions. You could join Nick and the team from seven this morning. Looking at the uh, the papers today, it's Deborah Meaden. She'll be in from uh, from Dragon Set. She's been in before, actually. She's been before Deborah Meaden. Spend more money on the program. I always say she sits there practically hanging on to that money. Go on, spend some money. Spend some money. Given the choice, though, I mean, some of the things are absolute winners, and some of them definitely uh, not. So uh, a lot of people joining. Nick in the studio this morning, just after the news at seven. Uh, Mick says, wish my wife, Barbara, a very happy birthday today. Uh, she won't hear it till later in the day because she podcasts. So that's good news. I don't mind people podcasting. I'm very happy when people podcast. Uh, Warren says, lovely weather we're having, very spring-like. Still too early for hanging baskets, I think. Still too early. And uh, what better for a pre-Easter treat than to go to the Eel Pie Club today to see Larry Miller and his band. Excellent performances. The fieriest, fruitiest guitarist you're likely to hear, Mr Mature Peril. Go to eelpieclub.com for full details. Eel Pie Club in Twickenham. And Patsy says, big thank you to Anthony. I think it's Poledri for his hospitality on Sunday. We had a fantastic lunch that lasted until 6pm. He listens to you every morning and is still waiting to meet you. We bought tickets to the Magic Circle and uh, he probably would have done. 
But actually, we, we've got all sorts of things happening this year. All sorts of things happening. We'll let you know a little bit, a uh, little bit nearer the time. Tesco's made a huge profit this year. Huge profit, even after banning that uh, woman the other day and her son for going in with a balloon uh, because they had a member of staff who had a latex allergy. And so they banned... But strange enough, the kid could hold the balloon, but it couldn't be attached. Very strange, very strange. But anyway, Tesco made £3.8 billion, but bosses say it's got to improve. Apparently it wasn't as good here as it could have been. A group of travellers have set up Britain's most expensive campsite by parking nine caravans on an unfinished £80 million bypass. Strangely enough, council chiefs are powerless to evict them because ownership of the road is still in the hands of private contractors. I mean, to be honest with you, the Tory council of a nearby uh, I, David Sanders, says the whole thing's a joke. Drivers and now villagers are up in arms. I spoke to the travellers. They know what they're doing. They saw the road was closed and they thought, what a good place. We had some down in Richmond uh, parking in a bus lay-by. They just parked in a bus lay-by for no reason whatsoever. You think, very odd that, very odd. But uh, lots of fun fairs taking place over the Easter bank holiday weekend. So you'll be going out, enjoy the huge one at Hampton Court. Trailins have just moved on to the site down at Richmond. So they'll be... I love watching people set up. I absolutely love people setting up. 84850, Uh Another one here. This is uh, Kate saying, I do on YouTube. I think there's going to be... Billions watching this around. The- Do you think billions are watching around the world? Certainly, certainly many, many, many millions of people will be watching it. And here in London, we'll be covering it on LBC. More on Imogen Thomas, who's capitalising on her fame as somebody who's bedded lots of famous people. And uh, this time she's going out. She was going out for a, a photo shoot the other day. So no doubt that'll be an OK magazine. Absolutely marvellous. Well done, Imogen. You've achieved the bottom of your profession because you are just a person who sleeps with famous people and then tries to sell the story afterwards. It's all a little bit tacky, I'm afraid. A little bit tacky. Uh, a group of cleaners are celebrating today. I don't think it matters whether they're cleaners or not, but they did get the 16 of them from Stockton-on-Tees and uh, they scooped a fortune on the National Lottery. They got a £4 million share in a triple rollover. So that's not bad, is it? £4 million between... 16 of them, just to make it even more interesting. Because I'm always fascinated as to what you do with all this, uh, all this money. And I'm thinking, so if you've got four, one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, divided by 16, they get, well, they, that's not bad, is it? Quarter of a million each. Quarter of a, is it? Can't be quarter of a million, can it? Quarter of a million, four is, well, it could be actually, yeah. Not bad. Well done to them. I think you could do a lot with a quarter of a million. You could really do a lot with a quarter of a million. So uh, I hope that they uh, they enjoy their money. And I love the guy who did the London Marathon. This one here is Sam Roberts. He raised £4,000 for the Epilepsy Society. And he did the London Marathon, but he kept going for 99 more miles because he ran home. Sam, who is an epileptic, said, For me, the finishing line was just the beginning. I was exhausted. Well, great for him. Great for him. He carried on running to St Ives in Cambridgeshire, arriving at 2.45 on Monday. 25.2 miles in 29 hours. Well done to you. Well done. It's always nice to see uh, nice stories from the marathon and people who raised a lot of money. And a lot of money was raised. I think we must raise on our marathon probably more than, than anybody else. I don't think anybody raises as much money as we do. And it's it's just the amazing amount of, of novelty items the bloke who ran with the with the washing machine on his back and people who dress up as i know some of them are quite mad aren't they i don't know how you run with things like that they must give up after a while or they just slow down completely 
that uh, Poundland, apparently, and budget stores like it, are moving into posh, posh shopping malls as rents plunge in the economic downturn. So wherever you go in a shopping mall, you're going to find Poundlands because they do such a big turnover... Because it's, you know, people say, oh, it's only a pound. How much is it? It's a pound. And people go in there. But, of course, you don't just spend a pound, do you? You end up having spent about 15 pounds. I went to Lakeland yesterday and ended up buying all sorts of things. I walked out with this huge bag, which was so big, it was almost dragging on the ground, of sort of things that I wasn't actually sure I needed. But when I was standing in the store, I thought I did. So I've got to go back today, because I ended up buying something to clean taps. It's a little motorised thing, a sonic cleaner. And, and I think I bought the wrong bit. I've got all the pads, but I haven't got the thing to attach it to. That's not much use, is it? So I've got to go back to do that today, and then I shall be trotting out to Byfleet, having tried to work out where that is, to go and uh, G up FedEx. But I have a horrible feeling it's back on the van again today. Steve Allen. Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. Welcome to Wednesday morning. In America, they have a dilemma. The dilemma is... Do they phase out the death penalty by lethal injection and bring back the firing squad? The problem is there is a shortage of drugs for lethal injections. And in certain states in America, and there are 3,000 people on death row, uh, they choose the method of execution. And in many cases, as in uh, Ronnie Lee Gardner, who murdered an 11-year-old girl, he chose execution by firing squad. Strangely enough... Uh, an entire U.S. Army platoon from Fort Bragg, North Carolina, offered to do the shooting. In the end, the task was assigned to five police volunteers from a small, small U-town tar where Taylor had raped and strangled an 11-year-old girl seven years earlier. Uh, he was shot through the heart. But they're saying now that they should bring back the firing squad and the gas chamber because they say the uh, injections, some people react very badly to them. And I wonder, really, we don't have the death penalty in this country. It was abolished a long, long time ago. Would you ever see the day where the death penalty would come back in again? Would you like to see a return to that? Because it's it certainly, if people say it was a deterrent, it certainly wasn't a deterrent. If, of course, you're looking for an eye for an eye, well, then, yes, probably. I suppose you have to put yourself in the situation of somebody who had... Uh, uh, had lost somebody because their life had been taken from them by somebody who had per perpetrated a crime, either by, you know, driving off the road or shooting them or killing them or whatever it happened to be. Because we read these stories. There's another story in the paper today of another young man sitting in a chicken shop and, again, somebody went in and stabbed him. So should we reinstate the death penalty? If, 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 if you say yes, you have to think for what? Would it be the murder of a policeman? Would it be murder of a child? Should somebody have their life taken away? There will be those people who say, no, no, we should try and, uh, and look after these people because quite clearly there's something the matter with them if they can actually perpetrate a crime like this. But are there, so, are, are there certain crimes which are so heinous that you have to bring back the death penalty? In America, they have it. Not in all states, but they have it in a number of states. So with 3,000 people sitting there, they don't know whether or not they're going to be lethal injection. And sometimes the process takes forever and ever. And people still campaign against the death penalty. Would you want to bring it back? And, and for what? What cases? The problem being that if we reinstate the death penalty, what happens if you make a mistake? What happens if the... I mean, the evidence has got to be overwhelming. You cannot afford to make a mistake. Because once you've taken somebody's life, you can't give it back to them. I've just finished reading uh, Pierpoint's book about hanging. And he, he was quite methodical. And they gave him... It was almost like a masterclass 
in in executing somebody from from their weight, their height, their age, all sorts of things uh, that had to be taken into consideration. And when I went to New Scotland Yard and I had a look at their used to be called Black Museum, uh, the amount of nooses, I thought there'd just be one noose, but there's loads of different types and it's got to be on the left hand side and it's got to be this and, and it becomes quite quite sort of systematic the way that people are executed. If there's two people executed then they have different systems and so it went on. So if we were going to bring back the death penalty in this country, would it be hanging? Would it be in je- I mean, to be honest with you given the choice, if such a thing were, were, were possible, you would probably opt for just going to sleep, wouldn't you? But then there are those people who want to be executed in the way that they executed their victims. So should we reinstate the death penalty? 84850 steve at lbc.co.uk or lbc973. Same-sized fingers, that could explain things. Should I get the garden shears out? (laughs) Isn't it amazing how we all sit there, look at you, you do that. I'm now looking at my hand thinking that finger is definitely a little bit shorter than the other one. Tony in Greenwich says, uh, say hello to my brother Dave, we're both truck drivers. Good Lord. And uh, and one here from the Lake District, most beautiful place on earth, especially when the sun is shining. I've seen all the pictures and we used to have placemats of different Bits of water in the Lake District. It's not good, is it? Uh, Hey, look at your fingers, palm side in front of your face, and the length of the fingers is different than the hand placed on the table. Is it? No, not really. It's just backwards, I assume. It's just... No, it's exactly the same. If you're holding your hand up, then if it's straight down, it's exactly the same, Priscilla. Uh, Des says you should try the train journey from Glasgow to Oban. It's lovely. Actually, I have bought various DVDs of train journeys. I've been inspired by certain people... Uh, by fleet in Essex. Oh, God. Is this what I've got to go to, to go and collect my parcel? Uh, 84850, steve at uk, And uh, so death penalty. Should the UK reinstate the death penalty? 84850, LBC973, or steve at uk. Because uh, this this piece today in the uh, in the Times saying, bring back the firing squad. Now, to be honest, I've looked at the uh, at the situation of a chair and a wall behind it and lots of sandbags, and I think it looks a little bit barbaric. Uh, it can be shocking and bloody. Widely considered to be barbaric and has been banned in most Western societies. But there again, you know, what is, what is the deterrent? I don't think a death penalty is a deterrent to stop people committing crimes. In fact, I'm 90% certain it's not a deterrent, because otherwise we wouldn't even have it there. Uh, Jane says, Byfleet is near the M25 junction of the A3, the home of the Brooklands Museum. Ah, Brooklands. Now I know where Brooklands is, because they used to have a big market there. And then I think the market went and they put up a, a Tesco, I think. Even Maureen says it's everybody's out in Byfleet now. She says, you could go to the Brooklands Museum, have a look at Concord, it's worth a visit. I've been invited down to see Concord before. I'm s- somebody from the Brooklands Museum contacted me a while ago and said, you must come down and have a look at Concord. Because I never went on Concord. It was my... Yes, Adrian could go into... I'm not having him come into FedEx with me, though. You know what it'd be like, taking pictures of FedEx and everything. But uh, I never got to go on Concord. I always wanted to do it, because I thought it, it must be quite nice to go at supersonic speed. But there again, it looked a bit narrow. But the food looked good. But I do have a souvenir brochure of Concord, and I went to... When we were at Biggin Hill, there was a stand there, because that's finished now, that's a bit of a disappointment, but there was a stand there selling Concord memorabilia. I think there are Concord Appreciation Societies and people swap, you know, here's an overhead luggage locker label or something like that. Far too lenient, Steve, says Helga in this country towards criminals like paedophiles and murderers. I think the death penalty should be reinstated. But it wouldn't be a deterrent, would it? Because otherwise... But I I think people who commit these crimes, um, 
even if the, even if the, there was a death penalty, I think they would still, I think they would still commit the crime because people work on the assumption that they're not going to get caught. It's only when they get caught. But I, I don't think actually putting somebody in prison solves the problem. They don't seem to be getting any any advice in there of how to how to sort themselves out. And when we say life in this country, it doesn't mean life. So now they've had to start saying life, but with a, a recommendation that they serve a minimum of, of 25 years. Uh, ever since yesterday, uh, Nigella Lawson wore the, wore the burkini, then every single paper is doing it. Do people really seriously wear this? The answer is yes, they do. Whether or not it was appropriate for Nigella Lawson, I don't know. But uh, she just didn't look so great, I'm afraid. Didn't look so great. But one man who does look very good is uh, Jiramon Kamura. He comes from Kyoto in Japan, and he celebrated his birthday today with a very traditional meal, but it was an unusual birthday. He's 114. And to be honest with you, looking at him, he doesn't look 114. I have seen ladies on the television, they've had... Um, twins and people like that who've lived to 105 and 106 and some people age but he actually doesn't look too bad for 114 he's still going and he's the only man alive who was around in the 19th century so well done to him many happy returns of the day and finally we've saved Ringo Starr's house this was a last minute block on the demolition of Ringo Starr's birthplace imposed last night the housing minister Grant Shapp said the council had to get government permission to flatten 9 Madrin Street in Dingle. Councillors yesterday voted for the demolition. Campaigner Philip Coppel said, thank God the government stopped the mindless town hall wreckers from turning Ringo's birthplace into a shameful vacant lot. I don't know, what, would people go to it? Would you go to Ringo's birthplace as a museum? Probably go to mine, I should imagine, actually. But uh, I'm not sure whether Ringo start. Does it really matter about his birthplace? John Lennon and Paul McCartney, you can understand a lot of other... But Ringo Starr's birthplace... Although, you know, if, it, if it's going to be flattened, I always think, no, it shouldn't be flattened. Could they not take it down brick by brick and put it in the V&A? If you go to the V&A, there are certain houses that they've pulled down and shop fronts and some fantastic shop fronts from London. And I went there. I've not been to the museum for about a year now, but I must go back again because there was one I saw and it was um, from the 1500s. And that's in the, uh, in the V&A museum, up on a wall. The glass has been taken out, but it's bow-fronted, and it looks fantastic. And so, uh, in theory, you could take down, couldn't you, Ringo Starr's house brick by brick. Sounds a bit laborious, but that's what people do when they conserve things. And you could rebuild it again, because they've got all sorts of rooms in the V&A Museum upstairs, which are just fantastic, from houses that were pulled down, and they said, we went in there and we've rescued it. Will says, my dad argues, what's the point of punishing someone if they don't know they're being punished? A dead person can't know that they're being punished. True. Bring back to uh, death row if a life's been taken away, says Paul. Are you, do you mean that for everybody? Because at one time it was policemen and elderly people, and now people are saying for, for the murder of children or for, for the, this, this mindless act, which we have going through London at the moment, of, of young people carrying knives. I was watching a silent witness programme the other day, and it was a group of uh, kids in London. And it was actually quite horrendous because they were being groomed by these gangs. The gangs would give the young kids trainers in this particular scenario. And, um, ironically, it was produced by Susan Tully. She was the producer. It used to be in EastEnders, of course, and uh, started producing. And she'd done this. And it was really hard-hitting and gritty. And it showed how cheap life was. It was gang against gang. But they would bring in the little kids who would hold the drugs for them and they'd give them trainers. But then, in the end, 
the little kids got frightened, and in this particular thing, the little kids got killed as well. And they made an example of people. If you, if you betrayed the gang you were in. I mean, I can't believe it that we have gangs now who do this. And they're children. They're, they're not even adults. They're just children. You know, sort of playing at sort of, you know, trying to be adult, but not, not really working at all. At the end of the day, you know, people lose their lives for the sake of a mobile phone or, you know, some drugs or something like that. It's, it's turf wars, and it's just getting completely out of hand. So... You know, would you take these gangs in or do we go? Because there are a lot of do-gooders nowadays and people say, well, you know, perhaps they've had a difficult upbringing. And you think to yourself, listen, everybody's had a difficult upbringing. Some people every day struggle to maintain, you know, heart and body and soul and keep it all together. You know, if, uh, if something's happening at work or, you know, something's happening in your private life, you've got to keep it all together. So everybody suffers, you know, unless you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth. It's a tough life. Quarter to seven. These are the headlines with Sam Pittis. Transport for London has apologised after thousands... 97.3. Death penalty? No death penalty. As over in America, they're deciding do they go from lethal injection, because they can't get the drugs that they used to, uh, to go on to the firing squad, or, at worst, bring back the gas chamber. To be honest with you, I mean, I, I don't... I mean, <laughs> even though it's the taking of a life, Albert Pierpoint used to say he still afforded the people that he hanged some sort of decency at the end. They, they abolished the leaving the body hanging there for ages. And then somebody had to go down and say, yes, he's definitely dead. And then they had to wash the body and do all the rest of it. And he said, I still offered them some sort of decency at the end of their life. He said, which is probably less than they afforded the person that they had murdered to actually put themselves in their, that position in the, in the first place. So 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk or lbc973. Death penalty or not in this country. I don't think it would be a deterrent. In fact, I'm pretty certain that it wouldn't make the slightest difference. If somebody was hell bent on committing a crime, the fact that there was the chance that they might get caught and the fact that they might face the death penalty, pretty remote. Uh, Steve the Cabby says premeditated murder should carry a death sentence. Uh, would we execute children, Steve? These days, it seems to be adolescents doing the murders. I know, it is young people. And so, do we hang young people or do we say, you know, with us, I mean, I don't know what you say to a, a six. I mean, what would we have done about the murder of Jamie Bulger? Would we have executed two children? No, of course we wouldn't, because people would say they'd be low the age of criminal responsibility. They don't know what they're doing, even though the argument at the time was there is such a thing as evil children. You know, children who. I mean, we've seen lots of cases of children who've done the most dreadful things. You know, the, the killers of Jamie Bulger did dreadful things, and in fact, one of them turns out to be as dreadful an adult as he was a, a child. But I don't know whether or not the death penalty... Does that make it better for people? Do you then think, oh, that, that's OK. We've got, we've got the death penalty in. They actually took so-and-so's life. I feel much better. I've taken a life for a life. Would that solve the problem? 84850, uk. Kevin says, yes, bring the death penalty back for murder. As of evidence, DNA is ideal to prove. Injection would be the way. The injection, I th- to be honest with you, that seems to be the way forward, doesn't it, injections, if we're going to bring it back. I don't think it'll ever be brought back in this country. In fact, I'm pretty certain it would never be brought back at all. Uh, the best offer of the day is from Bill. He said, next time you need somebody to count £296 out for you, I'll do it for a tenner. That's, which, of course, is great. But the trouble is, I'm, I'm wanting pounds in exchange. It's no good me just sort of handing over the money. I don't actually... The idea of people now negotiating with me, this is putting my money in the machine which I think is called Coinstar, and it just saves you sitting there. Years ago, you'd sit on the floor, wouldn't you, with the little bags from the bank, and you'd count it. 
change it. And then you go into the bank and they go, do you have an account? And you go, not here. And they go, well, we can't change it. As if you've sort of brought in tainted money or something like that. And they had that little machine. They used to put it on there and push the button and it would tell them if it was, if it was exact. So you, you could never get away with it. Uh, Peter says the death penalty will never come back, and rightly so. People who argue for it are wasting their time. Will we execute people who are mentally ill? Countries with this penalty still have crime. We have a habit of convicting or trying to convict the innocent. You know, I agree. I agree, actually. There's, there have been lots of cases where the wrong person has been convicted. And years later, we sort of, we go, ah, well, actually, you know, we, we shouldn't have done that to that person. Uh, 84850, steve at I use FedEx, says David, and have my parcels delivered to my place of work. Uh, which means you get them. Well, normally I do, actually, but I didn't in this particular instance, but they normally... I'll let you know if I can find Byfleet later on this morning. Uh, Ian says, uh, any chance of the death penalty ever being brought back to statute disappeared in 1998 when the UK embraced the Human Rights Act. One of its 16 chapters covers the right to life. You are right in that the death penalty is no deterrent since the US imprisons 2.3 million inmates, almost a third of the world's estimated 7 million prisoners. They have a great system in America, which I think would, that we could do well to adopt here, uh, which is whereby they invite young offenders into the prisons in America, the hard prisons, to introduce them to some of the prisoners in there and go, listen, you really don't want to offend. You really don't want to offend because this is what life is like in here. You know, it doesn't make you big. It's not clever. You spend the rest of your life in here fearing for your life inside prison as well as outside. And uh, generally speaking, it puts young people off offending. Um, Steve, Jenny says, I work for FedEx, not by fleet. And our depot does rearrange delivery after a card's been left and we don't charge for re-delivery. Well, they, they won't. I wanted it delivered to the other FedEx branch, which is up the road from me. I'm now going to trek around trying to find by fleets. <laughs> it's going to cost me 30 quid in petrol to get there. And, uh, and I thought that they would, FedEx would normally have vans that go from FedEx depot to FedEx depot. It seems quite normal. It's like if you buy a buy from John Lewis. They don't say, well, we have it at John Lewis in... Lewisham, but uh, you'll have to pay for it to be delivered here. And you go, no, you must have vans that go backwards and forwards. And FedEx is huge. And I've used them for, for years, years and years, because it's really quick and you can track the parcels and I, and I love it. This is the first time I've ever actually sort of had to trek out a bifling. I said, couldn't you deliver it up the road? No, she said. She said, I might be present. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to get there this morning and go, hello, I brought my card. And they're going to go, it's on the van. <laughs> Steve. Does, uh, does tours to Ringo's house. And he's part of um, Travel to Liverpool. In Liverpool. And he's obviously listening at the moment in Liverpool. And so it's fab cabs of Liverpool. He, says, he said we take hundreds of people to Ringo's house from around the world every year. Fab cabs of Liverpool, Beatles, Heritage, Taxi Tours. That's a mouthful and a half, isn't it? Nice to know people are listening in Liverpool. See, I, I love the idea of the Beatles tours. I think that's a great thing. I bet most of them are Japanese. For some reason, the Japanese absolutely go crackers for the Beatles. Mind you, I have got at home, and I haven't done... You're going to think I'm mad. Somebody gave me, a short while ago, a card. It's an iTunes card, which is for the entire Beatles collection. I forget where it came from, actually. iTunes. Well, it came from iTunes. And, and you, you input the information, and you can download all the Beatles albums. They've all been digitally remastered. And I quite fancy it. And I was, I was going to give it away as a, as, a, as a gift to somebody. And I did casually say to my brother, I went, oh, I said, do, do you like the Beatles? And he does, he likes anything like that. And I said, oh, have you got any albums? He said, um, some of them are all right. And I thought, he's not going to appreciate the entire collection. So I've kept it. Still kept the card. Uh, Maria says, human rights would stop the death penalty in this country. I agree, it would not be a deterrent. I don't think it is. 
I think if somebody is hell-bent on committing a murder or an atrocity against another person, the fact that there's a death penalty around the corner isn't going to make the slightest difference. Philip Merton says, yes, death penalty for terrorism and possession of offensive weapons. Well, blimey, that would close down half of London, I would have thought, because they've had these amnesties, haven't they, at the police stations, with the kids handing in the knives, and yet still they have them. You know why? Because they apparently think that a knife makes you big and strong. It doesn't. Uh, Steve, evidence shows that victims' families feel no better after an execution and tend to feel worse. They used to in America, didn't they? The victims' family were invited in to watch the execution. I can't think I'd want to do that. Uh, Steve, death penalty, it's time to come back. So I say yes. And uh, Sharon says, stop implying that a policeman's life is worth more than any other man. Well, that was the, that was the law, Sharon. That was the law. It was, it was the death penalty for the murder of a policeman. That was, that was what the law... That you weren't aware of. That's what the law was, actually. And uh, it says, I think once someone's been sentenced to life without parole, they should then be considered for the death penalty, save the country a fortune. Yeah, but does it solve the problem? Just say you make it in America. You know, just so, so just say you make a mistake. But no, policeman's life, that's what it was. It was for, for death of a policeman. And, uh, and that was part of the law. Can't change that, I'm afraid. Uh, one here that says the death penalty stops further murder. Yeah, by that one person, I suppose, Martin. But would it be, would it be other people who would then continue it? Um, you say over in America, but keep in mind we have 50 states each with its own penalty, and only a handful still have the death penalty, and of that handful, maybe three or four actually enacted. I know people spend years, don't they, on, uh, on death row. Listen, we've got to go, I've just realised. Thank you for all your texts and email. Don't forget to, uh, to podcast the programme for today. If you're going out, which you will be, don't forget, you've got to put all the, uh, all the sunscreen on, because it's going to be a little bit hotter than it was yesterday. So uh, enjoy the weather. What a fantastic Easter week you've got if you're on holiday this week. It couldn't be better weather. But you're kicking yourself if you're going abroad. It's raining. Only in this country do we have fantastic sunshine. I'm back with you tomorrow morning, which will then be Thursday between 5 and 7. Nick and the team, Deborah Meaden after 7. First of all, the business update, Sam Pittis. Thank you, Steve. The FTSE will open after closing.